and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for this latest episode, we're focusing on what some might say is a bit of an esoteric branch of the sport. Tenkara, the art of fishing on mountain streams with minimum line and no reel that first developed in Japan. So what is it? How does one do it? And most importantly, how relevant is it to Irish waters? David Anschel is a passionate fly angler in Set Tipperary, and knowing he was a keen advocate of Tenkara, I thought, let's find out more. But Tom, before we hear from David, I was wondering what you knew about the sport and had Tenkara ever crossed your radar? Yeah, good man, Dar. Had I crossed my radar, all right, but no, knew very little about it. Had talked to one guy, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tom Sweeney Swanky, that does it. So he was the only person I knew in my own circle that, that fished it. But um, so... I knew, as you said in the intro there, it's basically fishing without, without a, um, a reel. So it was, really, it was really great to talk to David and to ask him the questions that I, that I wondered about. Um, the whole thing was fascinating. What did you think? Yeah, like, and for me, and you'll hear from David as well, because David is like, he fishes all over the world. He's, you know, it's, <laughs> you will have fly fishing envy listening to David in the second yeah. part of this interview. Yeah. The, num- the number of species? Uh, yeah, come to that. Yeah, pick a number now and you'll be wrong. I guarantee you. Uh, <laughs> you won't even be close. He's an absolute gentleman, and he goes off fly fishing the world, and it's incredible the insights and the stories. But what I was fascinated by by somebody who's so experienced in terms of the the globe and what they fish for and what they've caught, and yet he just loves the simplicity of St. Tenkara and going down to a tiny little stream down the road from him. Wasn't that, wasn't that amazing? Like, you know, as you say, like... You could save what, yourself you know, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, would actually. Really would. But, you know, maybe maybe it's great that he does that to find out that, you know, that still within the simplicity, as you say, of going up to places. And, and this is interesting as well, where a lot of other guys wouldn't fish and just enjoying it for the sake of catching fish. And as he says, like four or five inch fish with occasionally 10, 11 inch fish, b- bigger fish. But yeah, yeah, he, he's um, he's uh, almost, I won't say besotted by it, but like real keen interest in it. But do you know, for me, there's a kind of a romantic notion to it as well, isn't there? That kind of taking it back to such simplistic kind of, mm. you know, means. And, and like you said, it's like, and why it appeals to me and why I'm itching to kind of have a go at it next summer is that idea that you can, like I live near the Commerce and the Knockmill Downs and the Galties. Yeah. You know, that little mountain streams. I've never seen trout in them. And David's assured me, no, I'm telling you, there's trout there. Yeah, it's not great when you're there, 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 there. And I'll yeah. show you, you know, and yeah. I'm just, I love that idea of just hiking up, you know, could be doing, going for a three, four or five hour hike and just having, you know, a small little 10 car rod with you and just trying your hand at it and seeing, it must be incredible to be catching these little fish in, you know, in these kind of places, like, you know. The, yeah, the, and you're going to places like the pocket water and things like that but also as well like the amount of gear you're bringing you're not bringing a lot i mean yeah i mean one of the things about fly fishing compared to other types of fishing is the amount of gear let's say for river fishing is small anyway but mm. tank carrot it's even less <laughs> so you were telling me uh tom sweeney swanky down in, in mccroom he fishes mm. there's very few in ireland that do do the um Tenkara. So I'm just, I'm interested for anybody that's listening that if you do do it, I'd love to, like, it's not as if you even see pictures on Instagram. You don't. No, you don't, do you? It's like very much, you said, like, start, it's just kind of out there on its own, isn't it? You Very few fly fishermen will be seeing with the telescopic fly rod, right? 
yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? So to actually go, but look, I use a telescopic tapping rod. So therefore I should find it, uh, you know, no harm at all. I have a nice tapping rod that I use occasionally, which is five meters. So my only memory of telescopic rods is something like you'd pick up an Aldi or Little, or that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, well, like, and as we as you touched on as well, it's not really, you know, it's not the tackle trades dream. It's not what they want to force onto all of us because, like, first of all, you're losing real sales, you use fly lines. <laughs> yeah, you no, really wonder it has, no wonder it hasn't caught on. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. Why, I wonder why it's not been pushed by the industry. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I wonder why. <laughs> well, look, let's hear from David now. Um, some fascinating insights into Tankara, and I don't know if you be like myself, but you know, I'm hoping to try it next summer. I, I do see the the kind of potential in it, and, and you know, just as another branch of the sport to kind of you know um, dip our, our toes into, and you know, spend a bit more time on, as if we need any more excuses. Well, um, but I first asked David to explain what Tankara is all about. It's not to be compared with the normal part of the sport. It's a separate thing altogether. Um, you can use it as a replacement to a conventional fly fishing, um, but that's not really what I do it for. I do it because it's novel and different. What attracted me in the first place was simplicity, and that's one of the things of uh, Tenkara, that it's so simple. And as we all know, fly fishing is already relatively simple, which is one of the attractions, but this goes one step further again. So what is it? <laughs> it's, fishing. it's fishing with a fishing rod and basically a leader <laughs> and that's it sounds an awfully like fly fishing to me now but uh... yeah, well it is but it's not fly casting that's the difference so it originated in japan it originated in japan it originated completely separately from the development of fly fishing um, about 400 years ago it started as far as I can tell and it was a means to acquire food so it was a commercial fishing method used by peasants who took their fish to the market to sell and they didn't use artificial flies originally they used live insects a bit like the origin origins of mayfly tom um, uh, yeah a bit like dapping and it has some similarities in a way in that, that it used a long rod um, a, a leader or, or um, a leader and tip it about the same length as the rod. So if you can picture it, if you hold it up high, the only part of the equipment that lands on the water is the fly itself. And that's the big difference between it and fly casting. So there's no fly line to attract drag or loops or resistance in any way. So that's the, if we're already talking about the advantages, then that's the advantage. And that makes a lot of difference when you're fishing trout, especially in little tiny streams, because if you fish in small streams, they're small pools, you've immediately got rushing water at your feet that drags your fly line, drags the fly. This avoids all of that. So is the drift very short then? Or? Yeah, it is very short, um, typically. Um, and as I say, often it was developed for and is often used in little streams. For me, there are other advantages because I'm a dry fly passionate devotee angler and I can fish in little streams, dry fly when people don't dream of it. So I think last year, I only fish dry fly from the very beginning of the season right to the end of the season. For some reason or another, people have tempted me to get back into some casting because they wanted to go fishing with me. But for a whole season, I just fished dry fly and tenkara. How did you find that actually just the dry fly? Was it? Did you do it just as an experiment? Because I think it was no. actually Eve Shunard, the Patagonia founder. I think I remember 
uh, reading about him that he wanted to do that for a year. And again, it was a similar thing, the simplicity of it. Like, yeah, I didn't do it as a, as a devoted experiment. I did it because I started doing it a couple of years before, picked it up again seriously last year from the beginning of the season and just worked the whole way through the season. The reason it works is because you can fish small rivers where the trout are hungry all the time. It's not like waiting for a rise. So you can go into the mountain streams and pick dry uh, fish off dry fly in the middle of March. Ideally, David, it sounds as if it's really to target smaller fish. I mean, that's probably where it came from, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, nowadays in the modern Japanese world, I think they have competitions where the winners are the ones who catch the smallest fish, not the biggest fish. The Japanese tend to do things back to front or upside down or whatever. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But But interestingly, myself, because as I say, all last year, all I fished was Tenkar and Dry Fly. I used it very much in my own river, the River Shore, and I used it for bigger fish and it was still very effective. I think you have a disadvantage if you're talking about a fish. I've caught fish up to like a pound and a half on my little Tenkara rod. But uh, I think if you went much bigger than that, you'd be doing what, what is the advisory method, which is when it gets to the end of your line and it's going to straighten it, you throw the rod in and you hope to pick it up downstream a few hundred yards downstream later. Well, that used to be done by the guys on the punts in Coral when they were professional fishing. Yeah, because they would be using ash poles. Okay. And if they got a very big fish, because uh, the line was tied to the top of it, you know, as it would be with Tankara, they would throw the pole, they would throw the ash pole out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And that the fish would pull that, and that would be a strain, and they would row after the pole and pick it up again. Well, so, that, as I say, that's yeah. the wise method for, for catching very big fish on Tankara. You simply toss the rod into the river and hope to collect it downstream. You haven't had to do that yet. Is that no, the goal? It's been close. Is that the goal? I've been close and I yeah. have inadvertently been broken off by my rod straightening and not uh, managing to, to hold on or not managing to let go. I mean, when you think of it, it's, it's you know, punt fishing on Cara became, came about as a commercial form of fishing and it was done by the locals. Punt fishing like mayfly dapping then? I don't no, know. No, no, it's not actually. It's done in a small boat. Okay. Right. And it's basically using uh, mounted minnows, right? Okay. And they would troll them around and they would have about 30 yards of line, maybe probably less, 20 to 30 yards of old, like, we're not talking minor filament now, we're talking line. Right? And Basic. This isn't our fishing that you're talking about, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> now, but very interestingly, and I must say this because I want to go through the design of the rod with you, but I once did, I had to do a, a presentation once. And so I got Jimmy Malloy, Jimmy Pa here to show me them because he still had the old ash poles. And as he showed that, I have the pictures and everything. The, the line was connected to the top, but then it was spiraled down to the bottom of the rod. Okay. And I said, why is that done? And he looked at me and says, well, if the rod breaks, you still have the line at the bottom. All right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So I'm just thinking, in a tankara, if the fish actually broke your rod, would the it's just connected to the top of the rod, is that? Yeah, I yes, it is just connected. It's not like now here, and here's the other thing I was going to ask you like pole fishing, uh, course fishing, pole fishing, it doesn't go down the center. No, it doesn't. No, no. okay, it just, come, yeah. just comes out the end. At the end, yeah. there is a little piece of line called a lillian, and it's like three inches long, and that has like a stop knot on the end, and your leader is fastened to the stop knot, so that lillian stays on the rod forever. 
Right. Basically, just change the leader and the tippet if you want to. And the leaders are, are pretty permanent because the leaders are effectively your casting fly line. And there is a cast still to it. You still need to do a stop, let the load rod, uh, rod load, and, and forward cast again with a stop. If you don't do that, you don't straighten out the leader and you end up with a mess on there. So it, it's hard to imagine. I, I haven't mentioned the other big advantage that, that you can cast in places where you can't do a back cast. So a bit like spay casting enables you to cast without a back cast. This also does. So again, you can fish in places where there are trees over you, et cetera, because you've got a very short, simple back cast to present the fly. And do you ever have to, can you use the catapult cast or is there a tradition? Yes, yes I have yeah. done like a bow and, bow and arrow yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah I, I've done that quite a bit, yeah. Tell me, what's the typical length of the rod? Um, well, I've got a, because I've become passionate about them, I've got a collection as I tend to do with fishing tackle and we all tend to do it a bit. I'd say I've got 10 Tenkara rods now at a guess. Shortest one would be about four foot and the longest would be about 13, 14 foot. Oh Good it's to see it hasn't become an obsession with you, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it tends to be a bit like that. I used to, I used to um, feel guilty for myself of my purchase of fly fishing tackle. And, and a couple of years ago, I just said, this is a nonsense. Why are you beating yourself up? Just let yourself enjoy the owning of it. So I now no longer um, begrudge or, or, or try to disguise the fact that I like owning fishing tackle as well. It's, it's a lovely thing. How many people are doing it in Ireland, Tenkara? Have you come across, is there a um, Tenkara community? I've in only Ireland? met two other people. I'm sure there's more, but those two other people I introduced it to. <laughs> so, but I'm sure there are i just i just haven't come across them and it only came out of japan 10 years ago by an american guy who set up tinkara usa and it's from there that we've got back to it there's a guy in um the isle of man can't think of his name but he runs a company called esoteric tackle and he sells just tinkara gear there's a guy i don't know if you've ever heard of swanky well-known no. competition angler tom sweeney from mccroom Okay. Swanky is his nickname as uh, Mary Ann's bar there in McCroom. Uh, he does a bit on his local river. There you and go. He's the only other guy, aside from yourself, that I know that does it regularly. Okay. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it used once from a visiting angler on um, the up, upper reaches of the river shore. Yeah. And in terms of um, typical setup, like if people were, is that like, I suppose, first off, is it a bit like kind of going back to basics, essentially? Like if people are thinking, do you know what, I want to just simplify it and, you know, go back to basics, that this is a it nice is, way to kind of. Yeah. But it, again, I repeat, it's not really a replacement. It's another thing again. And there's some real pleasures in the using of it, providing you're the kind that likes adventure in fishing. So I go up into the mountain streams and cry over waterfalls and all that. And people don't think of fishing there. The other advantage is that you can teach somebody to cast a Tenkara rod in 10 minutes. Well, this is the thing, actually. Yeah. Twofold, actually, that I wanted to ask you about was because you had said to me about bringing my kids mm. up um, in terms of great way to start fly fishing, Tom, you know, in terms of bringing them yeah. up little mountain streams. Because I was saying I've brought them to the shore a few times and it's a it's a big river. It's, you know, mm. a difficult it's river. Good. And I'm always wary with them. You know, the, the flow is the, it's very fast. And you were saying, bring them up to the mountains. I'll show little streams. You can have yeah. ten car. Like you even said, there was a four foot rod. You know? Yeah, I like you can imagine a kid handling yeah. that. No problem. I go up walking in the mountains a lot um, with the dogs, and I, I've often said, I've often thought, there's no fish in that. There are, and you've told me no. <laughs> there are. <laughs> Just find a bit of a stream 
in Ireland where there isn't a fish in it, a trout in it particularly. Well, I and, and that's what I was saying, because I can just imagine bringing the 10 car rod and you said to me, I'll show you. Yeah. I'll show you like. I'm sorry we haven't done that yet, but you and I don't seem to have a lot of spare time between <laughs> us, but we will do one day. And this is what interests me, Tom, is if you live near the mountains, there's so many of these streams and it, they're not seen as fertile fishing grounds. You automatically think where we are in South Tip, you've got the shore, you know, the Nair, the Tar, you know, you've got these main kind of rivers that you think of. Whereas if you actually want to get away from it all, you can head up to the mountain. Like you said, a, a bit of an adventure. You can yeah. head up to the mountains, yeah. hike for a couple of hours, bring yeah. a little, you know, tank arrow, and you could yeah. be fishing. You see, this wouldn't appeal to everybody. So some people like to drive to a river, get out their rod, make nice long casts, and the cast is part of their fishing, and all of that's fine. But this is just a different world. This is just a more primitive, simple world, and it, it appeals to me. But that's why we love fly fishing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because, you know, okay, it doesn't appeal uh, to somebody else, but it might, you know, it appeals to you. Mm. That's great. You know, yeah. and I will call it fly fish. It is a form of fly fishing. Yeah. It might be a form of fly casting, as you said earlier on, That's uh, right. but it's definitely a form of fly fishing. And, uh, you know, it, so- it sounds brilliant, actually. I have to say, yeah, it sounds magical. You and I know, as somewhat experienced anglers, that people talk about what fly are the trout taking today, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm sure you, like me, believe the real problem with the people that angle and don't catch fish is there isn't a trout left where they were intending to cast their fly in the first place. And the reason that it's not there anymore is because they've spooked to getting in the water, they've been too heavy approaching it, or they've cast in a way that they've lined the fish, or the fly is dragging. And, and this eliminates so much of that. So it makes an easy presentation where you're pretty sure the fly isn't going to drag. If you, I'm not an expert, but if you do it really well, more or less the fly is the only thing touching the water. It's a bit yeah. like it's a bit like dapping in that regard. Yeah, it sounds a lot like it. Uh, the only thing I can think about there is you probably do need a certain amount of stealth coming up behind. I would imagine you do. But yeah. then it's mountain streams though. Where you kind of, does that kind of cover your bases a bit because it's a flowing stream? And if you think of those streams, they've often got trees around them, so backcast can be difficult. But they very definitely are small pools with a tumbling fast bit of water at the bottom of it. You can't cast the fly line over that because immediately the fly line hits the water. You've got drag created. You won't catch fish like that. Okay, and that's one of the reasons people don't realise that there are fish in these little streams because they're not fishable unless you use a method like I'm talking about. That makes so much sense. It really does, you know. Would you be into it, Tom? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I'll try anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try anything, says the one-legged, one-armed, one-eyed man. It really is enjoyable and rewarding. Apart from anything else, a lot of people, and I'm one of them, love to see a trout taking a dry fry. That yeah. little bubble on the top of the water, and you achieve that whether you've got a three-inch trout or, or a 20-inch trout. Um, what, what size trout are they? Would you see in these typical mountain streams? Sometimes them? surprising, yeah. Sometimes surprisingly big. I fish a river called the Finisk a lot, which is going from, um, I think, it goes into the Blackwater, doesn't it? it goes through and down. Where is that down by? Is it, it from, goes from Mill Street? Mill Street, okay. yeah. Wow. Um, I fish that. I fish the upper reaches of the Nyre a lot. But if you look at the mountain, I mean, look at Newcastle near us. There's mm-hmm. a little stream at the back of that. That's a great Tenkara River. And there's another one at the back of Goatenbridge, the same. Little tiny streams that you wouldn't, I don't even know the names of them. They're just streams. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's not the typical kind of waters that people kind of want to go. But then you said, it, like you said, it's not for everybody. Some people want to go to the big stretches. But I didn't answer your question. Even in those tiny streams, there are fish 
of half a pound weight or whatever. So you're catching three or four inch fish and they're beautiful, but occasionally you'll catch a half pound trout. Fantastic. It's, it's, it's even more meditative that, you know, like fly fishing is meditative enough, but it sounds like it's even more, yeah, it is more it peaceful. Is. Like what's the kind of typical flies then that you're using? Uh, yeah. Cause I was just going to say that because I was just, just thinking that, but I was, I was going to add to that. Surely the fly doesn't matter that much. I don't think it does, Tom. Right. There are specific Tenkara flies developed. I don't use them, but I'm a bit of a, a weak person with regard to my fly selection anyway. So I like something that's very buoyant because I dry fly fish a lot and I like something that I can see well. And in the mountain streams, you've got so much turbulence that you need something to see. So I tend to use parachute flies like little parachute Adams, that kind of thing with a little post on it. So right. it's a nondescript fly. It's a pretty average fly. But can I also add as well, you needn't necessarily fish dry flies with it. I'm Absolutely sure not. Yeah. It's just that's what I do. No, it, it would give it. It's almost like you're a nymphing. You're fishing yeah. long rod up high. Now, I don't do that, but you could use it that way. So you could use nymph, nymph flies that would get right down if you wanted to. I just, just don't bother. You. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, we, we've been through the dry fly thing with you, Dave. Yeah, it, it, it's come across. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always worried, and I know people suspect it. They think I'm just one of those pompous British fools who sort of like, from a snobbery point of view, only use one dry fly. It's not that at all. It's what I enjoy the most. I just enjoy dry fly fishing. So You won't, you won't be saying what was said to me once here at the shore of the car. I would sooner throw myself in the lake than fish wet fly. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I would say when I'm with people fishing and, and I fish a lot professionally, not professionally, but on trips where I pay for them. So I have right. a guide taking me. Guides always want you to catch fish. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I love catching fish, but it's not my number one reason to fish. I like to catch fish, but the technique by which I catch them matters as much as how many fish I catch. But the guide always wants you to catch fish. So That's I his job. Them That's a lot. his job. No, I just yeah. want to use dry fly. I was in Alaska recently and I was talking to Dara about it. And I only fish for trout with a mouse, with a mouse pattern, because I, I love doing that. Mouse sure. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just my thing. But I irritate the guides. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to car again. <laughs> Don't look I, up. I, I'm awful busy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told you two of the disadvantages. One is you don't enjoy the real pleasure of casting. And casting, as we all know, is a real pleasurable thing to do. Yes, but it's funny, but then, like, nymphing. You know, the, well, I know, and, but and I, don't people, nymph. But, I, don't, yeah, I don't nymph. I don't nymph I just don't like, enjoy it. People, yeah. Their nose at it, but for yeah. me, like, an hour, say, in the evening, and... I want you know. I want to catch a few fish, or I want to feel feel a pull on the line, and you know you can go nymphing, and you know you're going to catch. Yeah, you know. I, I just don't. So you're don't. at the next stage. You're at that stage. What's that different phases of the? Yeah, anchor? Uh, you're at the third phase, aren't you? <laughs> Retirement, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's the fourth. Come on. <laughs> what is, uh, one, uh, lots of fish. <laughs> want to catch fish? Lots of fish. The biggest fish. Yeah. Oh no! You've well, you're at the fourth one. You just want to fish. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that is it, Tom. Actually, it's it's the the experience of the fishing that I enjoy. It's not catching fish. I love one of the things I talk about, and I I target lots of different fish on fly. All fly fishing species live in beautiful places, 
whether they're mountain streams, whether they're wonderful Atlantic rivers, whether it's the tropics and the Caribbean flats, all of them are in beautiful places. So it's, it's going to those places, experiencing new things that appeals to me. I just want to tell you another disadvantage of Tenkara, though. You're fishing in mountain streams. The fish takes the fly. The first thing he does is heads downstream as fast as he can. You can't, as you can with a conventional tackle, keep a tight line like you can with conventional. Ah, no, you can't actually. Unfortunately, I've reverted to using barbed hooks again. And that's especially dodgy. Yeah, I know. Can we edit that out? Can we edit that out? Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) But I found otherwise... Honestly, it was just a joke. You know, eight out of ten fish just immediately come unhooked. They dove downstream, slap line, they were gone. That's really actually because I was I've been trying to think about everything. I've fairly got a handle of it when you're talking about it. Never thought of that, but that makes so much sense. There's yeah. no way of keeping in contact with them. Oh, there isn't. No, no, you just can't do it. Ah. So I don't like that myself. I use very small hooks, and I I think about. I honestly believe maybe one in 30 fish, I'm not happy with the way a barb talk of, has been removed from the fish, which isn't nice for the one, if you're the one in 30 where you... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh-huh. But if you're careful and you know what you're doing, you can, you can do it very safely. Question then on that, um, what size flies are you using? And if you're dry fly fishing for it mainly, are you matching the hatch or does it matter? Like no, said, I don't doesn't. really match the hatch. Sometimes I change a fly or two, but it's not very often. Honestly, the fish that I fish for tend to be hungry and you definitely, definitely get more takes than you would by conventional fishing because of the lack of drag. And so, other- so I fish for them even when there's no fish rising. And I do that anyway in my fishing. I often fish dry fly. Mm. And the other thing I suppose as well is these rivers, these places where you're fishing, they haven't seen a fly like this, no, you know, because no, there's no. so few anglers. Doing and even in, in semi-flood conditions, they will hit a dry fly. It's amazing. Wow. Uh, mm. Sounds incredible, doesn't mm. it? Sound like it's yeah, it, it sounds really interesting. Yes. Really fascinating. So yeah. If people that are listening to it, they're interested, want to give it a try, find out more. Like, is it this esoteric uh, website, you think, for tackle? It's a, it's a good local website. There's a couple of websites in the USA. One is called Tinkara mm-hmm. USA. Mm-hmm. If you go on YouTube and you look up Tinkara fly fishing, you'll find quite a lot of, right. uh, yeah. of hits for it. Everybody's not going to go out and get 10 rods. So what's <laughs> your, you've, you said 4 to 13 feet. What's your go-to rod? These, these rods are collapsible. They're telescopic. Right. So that's another thing that appeals. So when I walk along the road from my car or over the hills, I'm carrying... Uh, a one foot length of bamboo in my hands or, or carbon yeah. fiber or whatever. The rod telescopes out and a lot of rods have an alternative length to them. So you can get by, by just by one rod that maybe are like an eight foot and a, and a 12 foot or a eight foot, a 10 foot and a 12 even. And if you go to that esoteric um, tackle website you will see there are uh, rods that are called sloan i think sloan is the name for a small stream like a tarn or a, a, uh-huh. you know, a, a little stream in on the isle of man and they have one called sloan 2 which has two different positions that you can make and they're very inexpensive so unlike the really best new modern rods the ones that tom used to sell me uh, <laughs> unlike <laughs> you can buy a very good complete rod for like and if 180 euros, something oh, like that. Right. And if I was still in that job, I'd be going, no, 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 you you have to have. <laughs> you, you don't be don't be buying cheap tank rods. 
And the line, the real, what's this, how does that? The line, as I say, there's a thing called a lilium, which is what you attach your leader to. So that what I'm calling a leader is really your casting line. So it can be um, a braided piece of line. It can be more, um, fluorocarbon is often what's used. I, in fact, that's what I've reverted to. I used to use a straight running line, but it's a bit heavy and you get kind of a stag rather than a straight line. So I tend to use straight fluorocarbon now. And then just a bit of ordinary tippet on the end, so about three or four foot of tippet. Because again, if you're casting right, you don't really leave any tippet laying on the water. So uh, let's say the, the stretch of fluorocarbon, let's say the six or seven feet. Uh, what what diameter are you using that? You know, if to use the X or millimeters, what diameter? It's maybe you'll you'll convert it to X for me. It's maybe twenty pound breaking strain. Oh, so it's ooh, that's yeah. You're up on zero x or zero one x. Something yeah, like yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. Remember, that's all you've got as weight for casting. So right. you still have to. Yeah, learn. you that you have to have that. Have you now? For example, let's say went out and I tried that and I only put let's say um, six pound. It yeah. wouldn't work, would it no, not? It wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to straighten the leader out, and it's still important to do that. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to end up with too much laying on the on the on the water, and it's not going to work for you. Oh, that's that's interesting. Play on with that, and as I say, that's inexpensive again, you know, because it's just fluorocarbon you're using. Yeah, you said it came about ten years ago. Like, did it kind of, you know, come as a fad, explode onto the scene? Everybody was talking. Because I remember reading articles in the magazines about it. You know, I'm probably seeing it online less so nowadays. So has it kind of faded away? Maybe. A bit? I mean, I'm not in in a cult or a, mm. a, a, a I don't know group I'm, of people I'm, with this. As I say, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> it came to part of the world via the USA. I know that. And in fact, it was the Patagonia company that, yeah. that first got so. me into it. In fact, somebody bought me a book they bought out, which was simply called Simple Fly Fishing. And I thought it was just a simpler, some aspect of fishing that I didn't know about. And I read about it and I immediately bought a Tenkara rod. And you know, I actually bought it in Patagonia shop in Dublin. Yeah, because actually, now that you say that, I do remember that. Yeah, there was a, a section on the, the Patagonia website, and I think it was Schoenard who was kind of preaching this yeah. as well. That but they haven't, they haven't really developed that. No. I don't think. No. As I say, there are these two uh, companies in the USA. One is definitely called Tenkara USA, and I can't think what the other one's called. But okay. well, you'd find them if you looked up Tenkara. Well, yeah. If anybody's listening to this, uh, that does Tenkara in Ireland. You promised me lots of people would be listening to this. <laughs> well, a lot of people. I'm, I didn't say Tenkara anglers would be listening. For all two of you out there that are listening and are Tenkara anglers, do get in touch. Um, no, I would actually I'd love to, um, get in touch on Instagram or Tom Doc on Facebook. Um, I'd love to find out more where it's done. Yeah, actually, yeah. And yeah. it is, you know, a kind of angling community. They've taken it to kind of a novel stage in the usa and that company tenkara usa use it for salmon fishing and they actually did a, a series of programs where they call all species of trout and salmon in the usa on tenkara oh my god is wow. that i think so yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. let's check yeah. that out my god wow <laughs> oh my god that's hard to believe most of the salmon on it like i'm sure they <laughs> adjusted rods to suit <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah, of fishing yeah. no i think i remember swanky saying me that he's small peel very small peel one even uh, as he calls grills yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he said it was small, but he that he he said mm. a lot of trouble, but he managed he landed us. Mm -hmm. yeah. final, final question on this, um, maybe before we get on to your own fly fishing career, David, is is there a different mindset needed 
when you're kind of going Tenkara fishing? Like, I think so. Um, but that's not difficult to change in anglers, I don't think. As I, as, I, as I said before, you know, it stops being the number that you need to catch. It can be something else. And I was with, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was fishing in the Mississippi River, and there were pike there and muskie there as well as smallmouth bass. We were fishing for smallmouth bass. But my friend, who's a guide there, hates catching pike because he's a musky, passionate person. And, and just a mindset, because he's got his, 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 his target species is one thing, anything else is a trash fish. So you have to change what you're doing. So yes, you have to start realising that you've cleverly snuck up a mountain stream, you've got your little tiny rod it's not an easy little thing to do and you're catching four inch trout and because that's what you're aiming to do that has to be rewarding for you yeah. but, but you have to get in the mindset where you're not comparing it to the beautiful fat trout that we have in the river shore these are different animals really yeah. but if you if you compare that uh Dar, when we did in ross and how he said you know Eamon ross is talking his two favorite lakes are loch sheelan and then loch melvin and how he can you know how he can switch from Sheelan to Melvin. And as he said, get it, you know, and he says on, on Sheelan, they almost have a disregard for a three pound trout. Yeah. Then he goes to Melvin and gets excited about an 11 inch trout and even goes for the net. That is is exactly it. And when you go somewhere to fish, you adjust what you You do. Yeah. Satisfies you by the target available to you. Yeah. 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 Really. And I've I've often found that because I used to do a lot of the the hillock fishing here in Connemara years ago when I could. And like, you know, coming to some, to some of those legs from Carob, like a 10-inch fish on some of them was huge. That's right. That's right. It was huge, but I used to love it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, this is very light tackle. These 10 Carob rods are very fine. A four or five-inch fish feels like a real yeah. fish on one of those. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. A five weight or something, you know. Actually, just on, can you use it on lakes as well? Yes, I haven't, yeah. but you can, yeah. yeah there great. you have it. That's the next thing. <laughs> there you <laughs> are. <laughs> Well, it would be lovely for our mountain locks locally because, again, yeah. you're not carrying anything. Yeah. You know, you can shove these rods in your pocket. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to go up to Galtee more. Yeah. I know there's lakes up in the Galtees there. and be good I've yeah. fished in the uh, Comoros quite a bit in the old days. Yeah. Yeah. In the lakes there. I, I, I'm presuming then you obviously could do it, you know, any time of the season, um, but obviously summertime is probably the best, you know, in terms of conditions and all that kind of stuff. Yes, although those streams are very low at the moment. Sure. And I went two days ago just to fish upper stretches of the Nile. It was too low, really, to fish. Every pool I got near, fish just spooked. I saw them. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very, wow. very hard. Yeah. But uh, the opposite is also true in that you can fish any time of the day. You don't need a rise happening. Yeah. You know, this time of the year, you know, the fish in our local river and the shore are feeding in the morning for a while. Then they basically aren't feeding for the rest of the day, certainly not on dry fly. And then, of course, says the evening rise but i can pop to the, these streams after work before work whenever i want to and i will still catch fish brilliant well i, I have to try it <laughs> i'll bring the kids along as an excuse um <laughs> i'll buy them it's all not, a 10 car it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just for children exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's for adults too <laughs> uh well it whetted my appetite david i have to say um i can't wait to try it and as i said i'd love to i'm going to Delve online now more and see if there's you know anything online in, in Ireland about it. Um, 
we've got you here before I let you go. It would be remiss. I want to ask you about your own fly fishing career because you fish the shore here down the road for me, and um, but you also fish all over the world as well. Um, did you grow up fly fishing? And as I said, that, that's not a set tip accent. You can tell that I'm not from <laughs> South Tipperary. You've actually. been here long enough, though. <laughs> um, I grew up in Kent in England. My father took me fishing, as lots of us, how many of us got introduced to fishing. But it was like with a bobber and fishing in the muddy, muddy river Medway um, for carp and that kind of thing, roach and bream and all that kind of stuff. I don't know why, but I always had this yearning for the simplicity, as I saw it then, of fly fishing. So even in Kent, where there wasn't obvious fly fishing available, I started to interest myself in it, bought a fly rod, fished for chub. It's a species we don't have in Ireland, although I've heard there's one or two around now, unfortunately. Um, but it's a very um, accommodating fish to fly fish for. They take almost all flies that you can think of. So I fished with sort of... Uh, Cocky Bondu, which is the old Welsh beetle imitation fly. I used to fish for that a lot with Chubb. Um, and then as my years grew, I, I become discontent with that part of the world to live in, largely because it was too many people, unlike a more rural lifestyle. And it was partly fishing that brought me to Ireland, which was in 1977. Or not. And you've been fishing the shore since then, haven't you? I've been fishing the shore since 1977, yeah. Well, and you and were you, even back then, were you dry fly fashion? Or did no, it develop? I, I thought I knew what I was doing then. And I was catching fish, but the fish were more foolish and not as, as bright as they are now. I, maybe there were more of them, I don't know. But I was basically able to catch fish by chucking a wet fly and let it swing around and enough of them hooked on. So, and then my business and my family developed and I actually stood aside from fishing for a while. By the time I went back to it, the river and the feeding habits had changed and I found my old methods didn't work. And in fact, I, I, I got somebody locally to help me and realised that I needed to be able to cast better, straighten a long leader, present the fly differently. And it was from then, which must have been 20, 20 years ago or something, that my new... Uh, new enthusiasm for fly fishing took off. But you also like fly um, fishing internationally now as well. Yeah, my business took me lots of places in the world and occasionally I tagged on one or two days fishing. But as my business matured, I realised that was a stupid thing to do with my time and I turned it around and I concentrated on the fishing. On. And if there was one or two... Hey, Dan, so you're talking. <laughs> right priorities there, Tom. And, and, and that's more or less gone all together and I hardly travel at all for business now. I just travel for fishing. <laughs> and I know from talking to, you know, and you've pretty much fished name any of the places destinations that anglers think of you know you've pretty much fished there there's always other places. Oh, of course of course yeah, there's yeah. A, but what's top three destinations well the seychelles you can't not mention the seychelles when you're talking what are you fishing for there uh gt's giant trevelis wow. but there's other tropical species like there's big bone fish there there's an indo-asian permit so a golden type permit um there's other trevelis blue trevelis um but it's it's the quality of the water that's really the attraction there. It's an untouched marine landscape. And funnily enough, Cuba is not a bad second best for that. The quality of the water around Cuba, and I've fished the other Caribbean islands, but Cuba particularly, the water is just fantastic. So that would be high on the list. Is Cuba, has it been developed much in terms of fishing? Or is it As, a, an Italian company called Avalon have more or less taken over that now? Of course... 
we're lucky in that the Americans haven't been able to travel there. So it's been a rather easier place for us Europeans to get to. Um, and I, I don't know, I've been to Cuba 10 times. I'm going again about 10 times. I'm going again next May or so. And they have developed it and they've de developed quite a lot of liverboards now because the hotels and accommodations in Cuba aren't always what they might be. So there are some fishing companies, Avalon, that is, is running liverboards. So you live on a ship. And oh, it. yeah. Uh, what about you're just back from Alaska? Back from Alaska, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, my trip this time wasn't the best. I actually took this trip because I wanted to take a pal of mine to Alaska, and this seemed like the trip. So it was a fly out every day from a lodge. So you could, in theory, fly to fish for grayling today, trout tomorrow, silver salmon the next day, you know, depending on where you flew to. But I found myself in a lodge with wealthy Americans with their Orvis gear on and their expensive <laughs> rods like Tom used to sell, yeah. but they weren't real fishermen, you know what I mean? They weren't nitty-gritty, dirty fishermen, so they were a little bit too privileged for me, mm. and so it wasn't the best Alaskan trip. Having said that, earlier in the year, in April, I went on a trip for steelhead in, in Alaska, and that was wild. And it was the first time in my life that I felt that some of the parts of the trip I was getting too old for, we were, we were scrambling up creeks. And when I say scrambling, you know, ploughing through chest deep water with rocks and waterfalls. Love that. And these, this, these people that I fished with had permission to fish 22 creeks. And we approached them from the estuary, took a little boat to the edge of the creek and, and hiked up them and sight fished for, for steelhead. Everybody knows I, or people know that steelhead is, is a sea run rainbow mm -hmm. trout as our sea trout or sea run brown mm -hmm. trout. So these are sea run. Each of these creeks had between, according to them, those guys who knew it, between 20 and 50 returning fish to breed each year. That's that season. So that's right. how fragile, how fragile each of those river systems are. And when I say creeks, these are small, you know, rivers five yards across. Like. And did you just catch? Did I catch? Mm. Yes. I said before I went, I want to catch one. Any more than that would be a bonus. I caught two. Well done. <laughs> so, what size? Eight, ten pounds weight. Nice. Nice, nice fish in a small river. And they, they quite like Did they, they say, is it the steel had the fish for a thousand casts? Is that the one they say? No, no, that's musky. Oh, musky. Yeah. Sorry. That's <laughs> I don't think it's 10,000 casts. I, I fish for musky and it is something like that. Have you caught musky? I've caught musky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they are tricky. People talk about the reasons in, in a, a river, they become the apex of predator, more so than pike. So they eat a lot of pike as well. But they spawn at two different uh, times. And they say that because, let me think, the pike spawn first, that the pike fry eat a lot of musky pie. So that reduces the number of musky. And then it turns on its head and the musky, musky becomes the prime predator. So he then begins eating pike. So those two reasons means there's only a muskie every half a mile in a river. People that fish for muskie do it for the hit. They don't fight muskie. They're terrible. They're like a big dead log when you hook them. Yeah. And, and you don't hook many. So they fish. And, and sometimes catching three in a year is a great success. Yeah, that and all they do is they look for the hit. They want to see the hit. The, the fish eat the fly. Because they use flies that are about a foot long that are articulated. It's pretty impressive. But Tom, that is mindset fishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three fish for the year. Right. Yeah. right. I just got to say, because we've often discussed it here, uh, Darren, myself, uh, our home bucket list and our, our big bucket list. Do you have anything left on a bucket list? 
Some years ago on the beach on Andros in the Bahamas, I met a man and I was chatting to him and I said, oh, what are you doing? He said, well, I was a dedicated permit fisherman for 10 years, but I realised I wanted to do something else and I was spending all my time focused and fixated on catching permit. And he said, I've now decided I want to catch 100 species on fly. And I said, my goodness, that sounds just like crazy, that ridiculous. So I came home and counted how many species I'd caught. <laughs> I remember, and it was like 44. Oh and God. since that day, I've made a record of them all, and I'm like at 105 now. Well, you've, you've, you've beaten 100. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, oh like, God. I you do 200. If, if you get really <laughs> bored about what to put on, I'll sit here and read them out to you one day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our next competition. Can you guess the 105 species, Tom? That yeah. It has caught on fly like 100. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. What's left as a species? Yeah. I haven't, you know, I have caught those. I don't know what I, I don't <laughs> as a species, to be honest. Um, I don't, you know, I really don't know. Sorry, I can't. I haven't caught, I haven't caught an Indo Asian permit. So one of the right. golden fellas. You know, I'm, funny, I'm often saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I myself, I'd be having tea one night and I just turned to Debbie and I go, you know, I haven't caught an Indonesian permit. I'm not going to sleep tonight now. (laughs) Going to the Seychelles in November, so I have another chance to do that. Interestingly, one of the things I've decided for myself, I love my fishing here as much as anywhere in the world. And I really sometimes resent the fact, even if I'm in these beautiful places doing beautiful things, I wish I could be at home catching my trout in the river. And that's what I actually <laughs> wanted to ask you was, yeah, does it does it feel like it's obviously a different type of fishing, but is there something just nicely familiar about going down to the shore? Not or? only familiar, I think the type of fishing, and it's still difficult. I still find it difficult. Somebody said to me, go and catch a big trout in the river shore. I couldn't do it to order. I could catch trout for sure, but I wouldn't be able to select and catch, say, a two-pound trout at will. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Nearly 50 years you've been fishing on the shore. Has it degraded? Have, has you, have you seen the fishing? People say that it's poor now. I th- Perhaps they're not great fishermen, because as far as I'm concerned, we're hugely privileged to live in this area and hugely privileged to be able to fish that river. And remember, there's 10 interesting different tributaries to that river around here as well. It's still very difficult, very challenging fishing, but it's full of fish and some big fish. Catching them is another matter, but it's full of fish. And, and from what, just listening to you talk, David, like whether it's Seychelles, Alaska, the shore, anywhere in Ireland, I get the sense of, you could be anywhere fishing and you'd be happy because like you said earlier in the interview, it's about where you're fishing and what you're doing. And that's ultimately what it's about. Doesn't it take you to another world? You only have to put a fishing rod in your hand, stand in some water and you're pretty happy, aren't you? So this actually leads us because I'm I'm really looking forward to this because we've asked nearly everybody now that's been on. We asked them one question at the end, David, and we ask you, what is your most memorable and I'm looking forward to this now. Your most memorable fish, considering you've had 105 species, right? Now, would it mean me the biggest? We want to know the one that sticks in your mind. There's probably more than one, but if you could okay, pick the one, one that up. sticks in my mind is a half pound trout that I caught two days ago in the River Nile. <laughs> going up it, I couldn't get any fish to take fly, and I was spooking them all. And I landed one half pound trout, and I was thoroughly happy. So that's the one that sticks in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to be traveling the world. Then. <laughs> That's it. I think, I think, let me answer it 
a bit more sensibly. There was one that stands out in recent years. I went to Tanzania to look for tigerfish. And a 20-pound tigerfish is like the ultimate target. And I landed a 22-pounder there. And it wasn't just the landing of it. I had to cast an awful long way across the river. The fish took the fly. He made an almighty leap. And the guide said, oh, my God, look at that. So the guide was, like, excited because it was the biggest fish that he'd seen that year. And we landed. And they're so fantastic fish. They're just amazing fish. So... I would have to say probably that's the most notable at the moment. Good. Well, tell you some stories, uh, David. We'll have to get you on and uh, we'll talk to you again. But thanks a minute for joining us. You're um, very welcome. Do um, everybody check out Tenkara in Ireland and uh, head up to those mountain streams. Very good. Yeah. All the best now. Our thanks to David Anchel for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.